Okay, good evening. We're continuing the series of the Talmud. Today it's number 11. And uh, last week we finished, we're in Masechet Rosh Hashanah still. Hopefully we'll be able to finish it and continue furthermore. Uh, we finished with Amar Rabbi Yochanan, everyone who is learning Torah but not teaching to others is like a hadas the special uh, tree that we use uh, for smell, which, you know, it's a beautiful smell, the Adasim, we also use it as Arbat Aminim in Sukkot. It's like Adas in the middle of the desert. Well, what's the comparison? What do you need an Adas over there, right? Uh, if you have gold in the moon, there's no need for it. Uh, also, everything in life, uh, the most, uh, the, the, how you determine a value of something, not necessarily from the ingredients or from the material. Most important thing is location and timing. Location and timing. If you're in a good location, even if your house is nothing important, right away it's worth a lot, right? Uh, a garbage house in Beverly Hills costs more than a mansion in some neighborhoods in Philadelphia. There's nothing to compare. Or even in New York City, a tiny apartment is worth more than a big, huge house in upstate. Why is it? Because the location is more valuable than the actual asset. Also, there's a, a, the comparison here, the analogy, the mashal here, the, the, is that what's the point of you learning all this Torah and not share it to others? So my question is, well, what is the problem? I don't understand. Everyone who learns Torah has to become a rabbi, a teacher. Well, can people just learn for themselves and from their own children, and that's it? Everybody has to teach others. So obviously from here we see that this is the wish of Hashem. This is what Hashem wants. And, uh, you know, this is... Uh, what happened? I was looking for kippah. So, uh, this is what Hashem is interested in. That the Torah will be spread as much as possible. It's a very important mitzvah. So, to know and not to teach is egoism. It shows that a person midot is not good, is egoistic, and is no use for the world or for the nation of Israel. So, someone who knows Torah and teaches to others is uh, obviously exactly what needs to be done. Okay, now, uh, we're continuing today. We know that in uh, Kiddush Levana, when we do Kiddush Levana, once a month, we do Kiddush Levana. And in Kiddush Levana, we say, David Melech Israel Chai Vekayam. What's the connection? Every mitzvah that we do, right, there's a lot to read. Not always, sometimes it's a little bit to read, but let's say you read a few pages. Every word over there, somebody put it there, no? Who put it there? The biggest Chachamim we had in history, that knew all the Torah from right to left, from left to right, up and down, down to up, anywhere you look at that, they knew everything by heart. And their mind was a million times deeper than us. So, and plus, there were holy people, which is the most important thing. They had prophecy, they had vision. So they were the perfect people. They sat together, all of them combined, and made all these laws, the Rabbanan, the words of the prayers. 
even David HaMelech that wrote Tehillim, today you see Tehillim, you understand who David HaMelech was, you know? So we have to always know what's the connection of these words into the mitzvah. Not always we know. Here, for instance, it seems that there's no connection. What's the connection to the renewal of the moon of saying David Melech Israel, King David, the King of Israel, is alive and existing? What's the connection? Why don't you say Shaul HaMelech? Why don't you say Shlomo HaMelech? Why don't you say Moshe Rabbeinu? Why all of a sudden David HaMelech? The answer is, believe it or not, it's a code here. It's a secret. David Melech Israel Chai Vekayam, numeric value, Rosh Chodesh. Numeric value. It's a gematria. Why? Because in the old days when the Romans made decrees that we're not allowed to renew the moon, we're not allowed to announce Rosh Chodesh because they want us to make sins on Yom Kippur, to eat. They want us to miss the holidays. So, you know, because of all these things, we had to do it in a tricky way. So one time, one messenger was on the way to tell the people of the city that today was Rosh Chodesh or yesterday was Rosh Chodesh. And if they catch him with a note on him from the Beidin, what's going to be? They'll kill him. So, so they look, they see David Melech Israel Chai Vekayam. So the, the Gemara says like this, look, Amar le Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi le Rabbi Chia. Rabbi was the one who wrote the Mishnah, Rabbi Uda Anasi. Rabbi Chia is one of the important rabbis of that time. Zil le En Tab. Go to the place, it's called En Tab. We have places in Israel, it's called En Gedi. En, en means Mayan, spring. Every place that have a spring there, they normally call it Ain. And so Ain Tab, there was a place, I don't think in Israel you have a place like this. This is 2,000 years ago. Vekadjeleyarcha. And make, uh, sanctify the, the mitzvah of the, of the moon. Ushlachli simana, send me a sign. This is all in Aramic, as you understand. Send me, send me a sign. David Melech Israel Chai Vekayam. This is what you're going to send me. Don't write today it's Rosh Chodesh or that time it was Rosh Chodesh. What do you have to do? You have to say, David Melech Israel Chai Vekayam, and I know it's Rosh Chodesh. That's why as a memory of that Gemara, the Chachamim put it inside Kiddush Levana. The Ashkenazim, the Ashkenaz and the Sfarad, they have in, in, in Berkat Levana they say, Aleinu Leshabeach. Why they say, Aleinu Leshabeach? Because when we stand by the moon, it looks, God forbid, that we worship the moon. Right? It's a big avera, big scene to be an idol's worshiper. If you stand outside, all the Jews, they look up with their sidurim like this. What does it look like? If a guy passes by, oh, look at them. They, they're laughing at us that we're worshiping JC. And what, do, what are they doing? Worshiping the moon. So what are we, what are we saying in Birkat Levana? We say... Alenu leshabeach. What's the connection? Because in Alenu leshabeach you say U Eloenu veEn Odacher. He is our God. Hashem is our God, and there's no other, right? And veEn Zulato. There's no other besides Him. We're not worshiping not the sun, not the moon. We're just doing the mitzvah, kiddush achodesh. That's all. Okay. And this is a, this is a very famous gemara that we use it in the seminars. That uh, 
the Gemara says that one time there was a cloudy day, very cloudy day, and they saw the renewal of the moon on the 29th day, hours before it became the 30th days, hours or minutes before, the Gemara doesn't say exactly when, they made a mistake. People thought, because everyone was, they knew that, let's say, on Wednesday around 6 in the evening, it's supposed to be a renewal of the moon and a new month begins. But you can make a mistake, a few minutes to here and there, especially in the cloudy days. So they, call, they came to the Beit Din, and they said to Rabban Gamliel that was sitting in a Beit Din, today it's Rosh Chodesh. So Rabban Gamliel told them, it cannot be. But this is 200 witnesses. You need two, two, and you count on their testimony to announce Rosh Chodesh. And, and uh, what happened is, uh, because, of the, because of that, the Rabban Gamliel, when it's 200 people came, he, got, he didn't get nervous. He said, uh, it cannot be. Why? We have in tradition the minimal cycle that it takes for the moon to renew. And he say, Kach mekublani mi bet avi abba. Every time the Gemara say, Kach mekublani mi bet avi abba, this is how we received from our fathers, all the way from Mount Sinai. En chidusha shelevana, the renewal of the moon can never be less than 29 days and a half, and two-thirds of the other, and 73 parts of the minute. If you calculate it, it gives us 29.530590. That's the exact number on how long it takes to the moon to renew. You know, 29 and a half, so it's 29.5. The rest of the five digits is 40 minutes and 73 parts of the minute. So it's 40 and something, okay? Together, that's what it comes to. Uh, we show in the seminars an original, authentic... Uh, proof that NASA made a research how long it takes for the moon to renew the minimal cycle and the difference between NASA's to the Torah is one ten thousand of a second take a second divided to ten thousand that's the difference between what they found to what this Gemara says and then the Germans actually NASA was two ten thousand of a second and the Germans in 1965 in Berlin they updated their information, and it's one ten thousand of a second difference than the Gemara. There's almost no difference. How did the Gemara was able to know the renewal of the moon six digits after the decimal point? Obviously, it's not human, especially with no satellite, no. That's one of the proofs that the Torah is divine, not the written Torah. We are talking oral Torah. This is Gemara. In the, in the written Torah... He didn't say the renewal of the moon, the cycle. In the oral Torah, Hashem told us in Mount Sinai how long it takes, and it will never be less. Based on that, Rabban Gamliel refused to accept their testimony. All of you coming, because it's a cloudy day. Go, go out another hour or two, you see then it's going to be, and it's already the next day after. And that's how it was. Uh, the Gemara continue. Uh, and this is what the Gemara say. Shivim mizikne Israel. Always we have in the Gemara, we have 
70 זקנים, 70 old people. Doesn't mean old people, just everyone who walks in the street with his cane, is 90 years old. Some 90 years old, this tender is smarter than them. So just because they're old, doesn't make them anything important. You still have to rise when they come into the room out of respect to their age, but nothing more than that. The Gemara actually says in another place, ignorant, the older they get, the dumber they get. Talmidei Chachamim, smart scholar, wise scholars, the older they get, the wiser they get. And we see it 100% without any doubt. The older they get, they have more and more and more knowledge, and their brain is sharper than a knife. And that's what it is. So the Gemara says, there's always, in Sanhedrin, you always need 71 people. Why? When they have to reach a verdict, if a person is guilty and to kill him or not, you have to have a majority, right? In any, any court, you need a majority. That's why you need three judges. You cannot have two judges. One say guilty, one say not. What are you going to do? You have to, you have, to have a majority. But you need 71. So it's 70 old people with Moshe Rabbeinu. It's 71. You understand? That's the beginning of the concept of Sanhedrin. So the Gemara asks why they didn't write their names in the Torah. In many places we saw the Torah say, this tribe, the president of that tribe, his name is such and such. The president of this tribe, his name is such and such. Or, or the spies. Here are their names of the spies. Over here, he said to Moshe, take 70. means zaken kana chokhmah. It's an expression of a person who bought himself wisdom, which means with lots of efforts, of course, but he reached a very high level. Then you put them in a top court, what we call in our day Supreme Court, right? Supreme Court of the Torah. So the Gemara asks, why didn't the Torah wrote their name, like in other places? That a person will not say to his friend, Ploni ke Moshe ve'aron. Ploni ke Eldad u'medad. A person won't say to his friend, that one is like Moshe and Aaron. That one is like Eldad and Medad. That one is like Nadav and Aviu. You know, so it says like this. If... People can make a mistake by comparing people to the wrong people. But the Gemara says like this. Now the Gemara actually stopped from what they're speaking about. Now they're talking about Shimshon. Who is Shimshon? In English, Samson. You know the story of Samson and Delilah. Very famous. They even made a, a movie in Hollywood about it many years ago before you, most of you were born. And uh, he was a prophet. Uh, in a movie, they made him a big hero with muscles, lots of air, you know, he's heating up the people. In reality, he was small and crippled, nothing than the image that they draw in Hollywood, you know. But the most important thing, he had the spirits on Hashem on him. And really, his strength was in his hair. That was the secret here. Uh, as a Nazir, don't get the wrong idea. In Judaism, hair is not a good thing. The longer your hair is, the more problems you bring to yourself. Because hair, it's midat adin, it's judgment. There are things in life that symbolize judgment, things in life that symbolize mercy. 
For instance, water is mercy, wine is judgment. Wine. That's why we put three drops of water inside the wine when we do Kiddush and Mitzvot, right? Uh, white is mercy, black is judgment. Right is mercy, left is judgment. That's why when you make a bracha, you hold anything you bless, you have to hold it in your right hand. Why? You mix it with mercy. If you did it with the left hand, fine, it's count. But it's better to hold it in the right hand. So, same thing here. Hair, it's judgment on a person. The hair of the beard is mercy. The hair of the head is judgment. So why Shimshon had his power in something impure, Tameh, that is not welcomed in a Torah? Torah is not appreciating someone with long hair. That's a, an exceptional case, because he's a Nazir. In English you say Nazir, a monk. It's not really the right explanation here, translation. It's Nazir means a person that made himself holy, he doesn't touch wine, he doesn't touch raisin, he doesn't shave his hair, nothing. It's a special nether that he made on himself. That's, so he's Nazir, he's Nazir Mileda already. As you know, as, as the angel came to his parents, you know, and told them that you're going to have a special, and it's going to be holy. And the story is that when the angel came to his mother, the father wasn't there. His father was Manoach. What was the name of his mother, do you know? Who knows the mother of, of Samson? Tzlalfonit. <laughs> strange name. So anyway, the angel comes to her. She didn't know he's an angel. So she, when her husband came, she said, the man, the man of God came to me, a holy man. So uh, the Gemara asked, how did she know that he's a holy man? From here we learned something very, very interesting. That today, how people decide who's a holy man and who's not, depends how nice is his beard. If he has a long beard, Wow, oh, no, Abba, he had a long beard. <laughs> I heard it a thousand times. A nice hat and a long beard, Psh, right away, they made him the Benishchai. No, no, they made Rabbi. Come, come, it, it, it's, it's very good to come and get a blessing from him. Why? He has a very nice long beard. No. If that's the truth, that you judge a person by his beard, why the Gemara asked this question, how Samson's mother knew that he's a holy man? What do you mean? She saw his beard, so she knew. Why are they asking this question? It's obvious. He had a nice beard, so she knew. So obviously, from the question of the Gemara, you learn that nothing in your image shows that you're holy, like some people think. Oh, no, if you look at him, he looks like an angel. Yeah, he looks like an angel. Very nice. I know many people who look like angels. Maybe like the angels of death, Malach Yeah. For that, they deserve to be called. But uh, So this is it. So, no, so what's the story? Why is, why is name, Shimshon is from what Shevet? What tribe he came from? Dan, Shevet Dan. So how they call him? This is how they call him. Look, the, the Gemara says like this. Bedan ze Shimshon. Bedan. Lama nikra shmo Bedan? Right, why is name become, it's called Bedan? The Atem Edan, because he came from the tribe of Dan. What's the real secret here according to Kabbalah? This is the pshat, simple understanding. Come from the tribe of Dan. 
Bedan, if you play with the letters, what's Bedan? Bet, Daled, Nun. If you move the order, it's become Nadav. Who was Nadav? The son of Aaron. Nadav and Avihu, both of them died, no? The holy people that died. Hashem killed them. One of the reasons that they got punished, there are four or five reasons that Chazal give, that they said none of the Jewish girls deserve us to marry them. Big shots. No one deserves to, ah, nah, she's not good. You know, I don't even want to go to the Shidduch. She's not for me. So when they, when they died, what was his punishment? He had to be reincarnated again, and he became Samson, Shimshon. What was his punishment? Who buried him, really? Who destroyed his life? The Philistine woman, Delilah. She was a very beautiful Goya, and she buried him. Without her, his life was a paradise. All the problems that came to him, and his death, he died with 3,000 Philistines that fell on his head in a stadium. It's all from her. She seduced him, and then she cut his hair. She told his secret. You know the whole story. So measure for measure, everything, it's always in the same concept. You get what you deserve in the same category. You make fun of the Jewish girls? Go with the Goya. You see what's going to be your end. Who buried him? Delilah buried him. That was measure for measure. So because in his previous life he was Nadav, the Torah hint that now is Bedan, Nadav, the same one. Measure for measure, beautiful. Then uh, the Gemara teaching us another very, very important concept. If you go today to a rabbi, any, any local rabbi that you know, and try to compare him to, to the Rambam, you put the Rambam and you put any local rabbi that you know, anywhere, not only in Queens, anywhere you go, Manhattan, Brooklyn, Israel, you take any heads of synagogues or Rashi Yeshivot, whatever, and you put them and you try to compare each one of them to the Rambam. If all of them together, let's say 5,000 together, you put them on a scale, and you put the Rambam on the other side, the scale will break. To which side? Huh? The Rambam. If all of them would say to, to you, you allowed, and the Rambam say you're not allowed, you don't even care what they say. However, however, you should know that some of these rabbis that you see in this generation, in Shamaim, they are equal like the Rambam. Why? Because they live in the generation that we live in today. Which means every generation has its heads, the head of the generation. The head of the generation in comparison to the nation is the same thing like the rabbi, in, the Rambam, in comparison to the, to the generation 900 years ago. The ratio is the same ratio. How do we know it? How do we know? This is what the Torah says. Listen. The Gemara says like this. Yerubal bedoro kemoshe bedoro. Who is Yerubal? Gidon. You heard about Gidon? Gidon. It's one of the heads of the generation, Gidon. So Gidon, in his generation, is like who? He's like Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu, in his generation. Bedan Bedoro, who's Bedan? We just learned that it's Shimshon, Samson. Ke'aharon Bedoro. 
יפתח בדורו כשמואל בדורו, שמואל זה פרפית, הוא שמואל. שמואל is, according to חז"ל, the most important prophet we ever had. He's equal to Moshe and Aaron together. I don't know what it means, but that's what Chazal said. He died age 52. He came back in a Gilgul, in a reincarnation, as Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah. Uh, we read in a Gemara, in a Haggadah of Pesach, Are ani keben shivim shana, velo zachiti leomra balelot. Remember? He became the president when he was 18 years old, the president of Israel, and his beard was all black. And the morning, Hashem made a miracle, the front started to become white. Uh, they give him more respect, all the old people. He was an, an amazing genius. So why did he say, I am like 70 years old? He said, I'm 70. I'm... So in a, in a simple understanding is, don't look at me like this, I'm 18 I'm like 70 in my knowledge, right? But the secret here is that in his previous life, he was, he was Shmuel. Shmuel died 52, plus the 18 that is now. Together, is, with both lives, is really 70. And he remember all the knowledge from his previous life. There are people who remember their previous life. Once to a million, you hear. So his greatness was, how can you be 18 and become the president of Israel? How many cases like this you had in history? One. Why? He brought to his previous life all his knowledge from his previous life. That's right, right away. Everybody saw <laughs> he's 18, but it's top of the line. So, so the idea here is once Shmuel, he was the prophet in that time, Iftach, you're comparing Iftach to Shmuel, Nothing to compare. Ah, but Iftach in his generation, he's the head of the generation. His authority is exactly like, like Shmuel authority. No different. You don't go and compare from generation to what happened a thousand years ago. There's no end to it. This is the concept. So in our time, we have few chief rabbis in a generation. Uh, I don't know, about 10 altogether. And they are the, they are the Iftach and the, and the Shmuel and Moshe. They are the ones. And that's, that's who we have to listen to their orders. Then the Gemara continue. The Gemara to say, even Kal Shebakalim. Now is another concept. Maze Kal Shebakalim. Nothing. And, and, and nobody. But the, the group of people nominate that nobody to become their leader. ונתמנה פרנס על הציבור, הרי הוא כאביר שבאבירים, he becomes a hero, spiritually. Why? If, if, if a group of people took one person that is a complete ignorant and made him his head, their head, how he become automatically something important? The answer is, because once a person is in charge of a group of people, he has a, spe he has a special si'ata dishmaya mishamayim. Special si'ata dishmaya mishamayim. Hashem help, gives him help that he won't get on his own. Not for him, for the 300 people who nominate him. You understand? That's why even we saw in history some kings or leaders that were corrupted and bad, but let's say when they went to war, they made the right decisions. And the Gemara started to, to ask how they, how they had this special siyata dishmaya. 
And because it's not only them, it's the schut, the merit of the people. The, uh, where, we learn it, where we learn it from, does the Torah say, Uvata el ha-kohanim ve'alevihim ve'ashofet asher yeh bayamim ha'em. If you have something to ask and you need instructions, you're going to go to the Kohen or to the Levi or to the judge that will be in those days. The Torah didn't say a judge that will be extraordinary knowledgeable. Any judge. This is the judge. The rabbi is Avedin. You compare him to the Chachamim of a hundred years ago? Compare him to the Ben Ishchai? Nothing to compare. But in our time, this is what we get. That's what we have. That's it. One time my cousin told me that he says that uh, the, the leaders are elected according to the, na- to, the, to the level of the people. When you see a community that the people are losers and low lives, down, like no knowledge, no midot, no nothing, who becomes their chief? Somebody that he cannot even enter to yeshiva. He becomes the rabbi. When you go to a place of important people, Mishamayim, Hashem send them somebody very important. You see, I saw it throughout all, my, all the years. And that's what you see. And not only, it doesn't only go by the knowledge of the person. Sometimes a person has big knowledge and you see him in a community of complete ignorance. What's the connection? There are things behind the scenes that you don't see about him. Hashem knows. It's, he made a good zivug. You understand? This is it. That's the way it's working. Then, the Gemara continues. The Gemara speaking about Moshe Rabbeinu is picking up his hand and the nation of Israel is winning the war. His hands are coming down, they begin to lose. What's the connection? What's the hands? It's not the hands. It's Hashem's decisions, right? But what do we see from here? That's a perfect proof in reality that even though you need an army and an army is important, who does the war for us is only Hashem. Everything is Hashem. We saw it throughout history, especially us, the Jews, there's, no, there's nothing to even argue about, that all the wars is the wish and the decisions of Hashem. But why Hashem chose that this is going to be the sign, that Moshe goes like this and we're winning? Why not other things? Why? Because everyone is looking up to the mountain to see what position his hands are. While they're looking at his hands, automatically looking up to the Shammai. When thousands of Jews picking up their head up to Hashem, right away a wave of energy is coming and they're winning the war. So the Gemara says, to teach you, in the time that all the eyes of Israel are up and their heart is surrendered to Hashem, they're making tshuva, they're winning the war. If not... That's the hint, the hint of the hands of Moshe. Not that they do it while Moshe is doing it. Don't get me wrong. So when they look up, when his hand is down, they also look up. The idea is to teach us. It's why Hashem chose that transaction. It go up or down. When all of you are on, with your eyes up, you're winning. When your eyes is down, which means you're making scenes and you're not making tshuva, that's what happened. Then... It says like this, Vayomer Hashem el Moshe, and Hashem say to Moshe, Aselecha Saraf, Aselecha Saraf, make a special uh, snake, you know, a special snake, 
What's that snake? That he wanted people to look at the snake and become cured from the epidemic. You know, remember the story, no? That people started to die and Hashem tell Moshe, make a special saraf. A saraf is like a snake, an image of a snake. And people who would look at that, they would become cured. So the Gemara asks, What is this? The, the snake. Is, the snake will decide who is going to live and who is going to die. Ela, the Gemara say, no, of course not. Ela, when the nation of Israel are righteous, their heart is surrendering to Hashem, they become cure, and if not, Hashem irachem. Why we don't say Halel and Rosh Hashanah, like in other holidays? What's the reason? Malachi Asharet came to Hashem. The angels came to Akalosh Baruch Hu and say, Why you don't let your nation, the nation of Israel, saying to you Halel in Rosh Hashanah on Yom Kippur? Amar Laem, Hashem answered, Is it possible that a king is sitting in a judgment chair and the books of life and the books of death are open in front of him, and the nation of Israel will sing, I'm judging their eternity. A person that stands in front of the judge will begin to sing. What's going <laughs> to People are dying from fear. What is this? To sing. Amar Rabbi Yochanan, what is it in Mishlei, in the book of Mishlei, King Solomon, Mishlei Yud, when a person is fearing Hashem, he lives longer. adding years of life to, to life of a person. And the life of the, of the, and the years of the wicked people will get shorter. What is it? This is the first temple. The years of the, of the righteous people will become longer. That's speaking about the first temple. We have two temples, first and second. First was 410 years. Then came 70 years without a temple. And then right after that, they built the second temple, 420 years. So altogether, 410 plus 70 plus 420, 900 years from the beginning to the, of the first temple to the end of the second temple, 900 years. The first temple, they had only 18 Kohanim Gdolim. We have Kohen, ordinary Kohanim that serves in the Bet HaMikdash. And we have one Kohen Gadol, which is above everyone, the top authority. He is the one who goes into Kodesh HaKodashim in Yom Kippur. How many Kohanim Gdolim you had in 410 years? The life of the first temple. How many? Who knows? Huh? 18. Hi, 18. 18. 18 Kohanim, in English, Kohen Gadol, it's called High Priest, which means top above all the Kohanim. So this is what it says. Listen good. For 410 years that the first temple was there, 18 Kohanim. The life of the wicked people gets shorter. What's the meaning of that? 
what King Solomon meant by that. Talking, speaking about the second temple. What's the second temple? 420 years. How many Kohanim Gdolim you had in the second temple? How many high priests? In 420 years. First temple, 410 years, 18 Kohanim. Second temple, 420 years, how many Kohanim? Guess. More than 300 Kohanim. Who says it's bad? Let's explain. First, take out from this 300, take one out. His name is Shimon Atzadik. Shimon Atzadik. Shimon the righteous. Right? How do you say Shimon in English? Simon. Right? So Shimon Atzadik, he was a high priest, Kohen Gadol, 40 years. Right? So from 420 years, take off 40 years, how much we have left? 380. Follow me. Follow me, Baruch. Wake up. Okay, now, Shimon Atzadik, 40 years, so we have 380 years left. Which other Kohen Gadol was in the second temple, a legendary one that later lost his Olam Abba? Who? Yohanan Kohen Gadol. 80 years! 80 years straight. Every year he goes to Kodashim and comes out alive. And in the end he became wicked. Take 80 years from 380. How much we have left? 300. 300 years left. And it's only two Kohanim. Two Kohanim, 120 years. Take out. Then 10 years, Ishmael ben Fabi. That's his name. Kohen, his name is Ishmael. In the old days, it was common to be called Ishmael. Even though Ishmael is a wild beast in the Torah, the founder of all Arabs. The Torah said that this person is a wild beast. Pere Adam. Why the Torah say Pere Adam and not Adam Pere? When you want to say that a person is wild, you say wild person in, in English, right? Wild person. How do you say it in Hebrew? Adam Pere. You first say Adam, the person. Pere means wild, right? But over here, the Torah is making it opposite. Pere Adam. Why? Is a mixture of a beast and a person. But which one he has more? Is more a person or more a beast? If he was more a person, the Torah would use the expression Adam Pere. But since he's much more a beast than a person, then what the Torah say, Pere Adam. You understand? Pere Adam. So now, since Ishmael is not such a good name, because the first time we find it in the Torah is the most horrible person almost ever lived. But what's the meaning of the word Ishmael? God would listen. Ishmael. God would listen. So uh, this Kohen, Ishmael, 10 years. So now how many years we have left? 290. 290. 11 years, Rabbi Elazar ben Kharsom. Very righteous person. He was a Kohen Gadol. Rabbi Elazar ben Kharsom. So take 11 years. How many we have left? 279. Right? 279 years. We had divided by more than 300 Kohanim that left. Besides those five. How many? Four or five? 
Huh? Five. Five. Take this five, you still have more than 300. 279 divided by 300, which means each one of them did not even finish a cycle of one year. They died before they finish a one-year cycle. That's how bad it was. Which show you the responsibility of Kohen Gadol. One bad thought, one bad act, Hashem is dumping you into the garbage. You want to be a Kohen Gadol? You have to agree if you know you're perfect, if you know you're crooked, and you're making sins behind scenes, you better off not follow this job. Rabbi Elazar ben Kharsom has a very, very special story. Why? Who is the richest person in the world today? It used to be Bill Gates, but now I heard there's a Mexican guy somewhere in Mexico, 69 billion. But let's give Bill Gates, I like him because he's, a, he's donating a lot of money to poor people, to, to medicine. I like people that are charitable. I don't know about that Mexican, what's his story? Never heard that he gave 17 billion donations so far. So Bill Gates, the richest guy in the world. So now imagine Bill Gates compared to Rabbi Elazar ben Kharsom is a mosquito in wealth compared to him. You know how wealthy he was? His father left him. Listen good. His father left him when he died 1,000 CDs that he owned. 1,000 CDs. I don't know if the CDs were like Manhattan, hundreds of floors in each building. You know, it's CDs. Thousands of people, tens of thousands in each city. His father was the landlord of 1,000 cities. But that's nothing. Besides that, he had 1,000 boats. Shipping. You know, they ship merchandise all over Europe, the world. 1,000 huge boats. Commercial boats. He left for him. So Gemara say, when a person dies, there are three kinds of people. There's a very rich guy, a very poor guy, and a very handsome guy. What's, no, what's the connection? When a very poor guy dies, he comes to his judgment. He says, hey, God, what do you want from me? I had to work 15 hours a day like a slave. You expect me to learn Torah? Well, it's not my fault. Well, I had to work, go to my second job, go to my third job. All day, all day I was just thinking how to bring bread to my kids. I'm not a criminal that I didn't learn Torah. So Hashem shows him a film, video of Hillel Azaken. Hillel, until he became the president of the Sanhedrin, what was he? Very poor man. Every day he used to go chop trees because he used to cost money to enter the yeshiva. Not like today, they begging people, come learn Torah, and they say, okay, when I have time. People were dying to come to learn, not everybody could afford. So every day he used to go in the north of Israel in the winter when it was snowing there. He chopped trees. He bring the trees into the Beta Midrash, into the yeshiva. He pays them with the trees. No money. He gives them the trees. They put it in a chimney over there, in a fireplace. And they warmed the yeshiva in the winter. And with, with the trees, he got permission to enter. Which means 
If he doesn't bring the trees, they don't let him in. It doesn't matter that he's a genius, holy, righteous person. Nobody enters without payment. This is how it was. One time he was three feet snow. How are you going to chop trees? Can I chop the trees? Can I walk? That day he couldn't bring trees. So he came to the yeshiva. He said to the guard over there, let me in today. Look, today there's no way to chop trees. So I'm sorry, I'm doing my job. I can't let anybody in for free. So what happened? He got up on the roof. He put his head in a chimney there, you know. And he was listening to the, to the Torah shiur. Who gave the, shiur, the, the lecture? Who gave the class? Two converts. One Shmaya and one Aftalion. That was the biggest rabbis in the world. Both of them. Shmaya and Aftalion. Two converts. So those two converts, they teach all, everyone Torah. In, this, in that yeshiva of Hillel, if Hillel was such a giant chacham and they are his rabbi, imagine what they were, right? He was the president of the Sanhedrin. So one said to the other, don't you see it's dark here today? I say, yeah. So they look up, they see a face, it's blocking, you know, usually the light comes in. They see a face, it's blue already. They ran up, it was already Shabbat. Shabbat already started. They see a person is covered with a pile of three feet of snow. They clean the snow. They saw he's frozen almost to death. Another hour is dead. They took him inside. They put new fire on Shabbat. Pikuach nefesh doche Shabbat. Life of a person. You put the laws of Shabbat on hold until you save his life. So they, they warm him up and they saved his life. They say he deserves that both of us, we are the chief rabbis in the world, we are the one who will make fire for him and take care of him. Now, we're not going to call ordinary people. This guy deserves that we personally will serve him. So he didn't want to miss one day of the learning. So he was so into the shiur that he was dying slowly and didn't even feel. That's how, that's how he learned. So... Right away, the poor people will say to Hashem, okay, I'm sorry for everything I said. Okay, judge me as you wish. That's one category. Then comes the handsome people. They say, ah, Hashem, how can I learn Torah? Everywhere I go, the ladies want me. Come here, come here. Can you come have coffee with me? Can you come here? And my father wants you to come for sure. Uh, how exactly am I going to learn, you know? So Hashem show him a picture, a movie of Joseph. Joseph in Egypt. Handsome men, Eshet Potifar, all the ladies throw themselves on the floor, screaming when he comes by. Hashem said, look at you, you look like a monkey compared to him. Okay, Hashem, I'm sorry, I thought I'm handsome. Oh, end of story. Now comes Rabbi Elazar ben Kharsom. His name became legendary in a court of heaven. A person said, Hashem, I couldn't learn. I'm so rich. I own Microsoft. I have thousands of offices, buildings. 50,000 employees, I don't know, I'm going from one convention to the other. Where do you, where you expect me to sit and learn? Every minute of mine is $50,000. People depend on me. I have to be available. They say, okay, very nice. Oops, the video begins. Rabbi Elazar ben Kharsom, what's the story with him? When his father died, he left him all this wealth. 1,000 CDs, go collect rents. And 1,000 boats. 
What did he do? He took a bag of flour, bag, make a nut, put it on his back, and a little money, as much money as he can put in his pockets, and he started to go to walk, to go to learn Torah. He doesn't care about all the wealth. Doesn't even want to go check what's going on there. It's not for me business. While he's walking, in the old days, how they used to make roads, not like today. They announce, let's say, on, on Shabbat, they announce on this Wednesday, everybody has to come to that street, and we're making a new road, which means if there are trees, we have to chop them off, get them out with the roots, we have to move rocks, we make the road straight with shovels, you know, with horses, whatever they had. Well, we have to make a road. Everyone must participate. Except who? Except the Chachamim. Those, the, the important rabbis, they don't have to come in such dirty works. They don't bother them. But everybody else, I don't care. You have a store, you, whatever you own, you have to come and make a road. That's how it was. The poor man is walking to the yeshiva. He walks. They say, hey, you, where do you think you're going? Come, 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 we need help. Come help us. He said, well, what? <laughs> don't you know, didn't you read the, the message? Everybody has to make a road today. So the money that he had, he owns the whole town. <laughs> he owns it. He has managers, you know, but he owns everything. doesn't want to tell them, listen, my name is this, leave me. He took the money, he said, here, take the money, leave me alone. He gave them the money, and he went to yeshiva with some flour that he can make bread, you know, because you have flour and water. You put them together, you bake, you have bread, you're not dying. So Hashem said to the wealthy people, your wealth compared to him, can you compare? He said, wow, I'm amazed. person left all these billions and went to learn Torah? I cannot say a word. So he was a Kohen Gadol 11 years, and the rest, we calculated. All of them were less than one year, because they didn't deserve to be Kohanim Gdolim. Okay, what else we have here? Okay, the Gemara says like this. The, the first temple was destroyed. Why? What was the punishment for? Because there were three sins in the first temple that people, the nation of Israel used to make. One, worshipping idols. You may say, how can a normal human being bow down to an idol? Do you know even the Christians that they love uh, 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 statues very much, they don't really worship the statue or bow down to the statue. Statue is a memory of J.C. or Mary or all kinds of idols that they have. They don't really believe that the statue will bring them salvation. You know, only a moron believes such a thing. That's why I was wondering why in India they kiss Buddha so much and all these things. Why you just made it yesterday in a factory? Why do you worship it so much? But that's not the point. What I'm saying right now is, how is it possible that the nation of Israel that have Torah were considering to worship an idol? How is it possible? The answer is, believe it or not, the desire for Avodah Zarah was amazing. It was just as strong as the desires for the women today that there is in this generation. People just couldn't hold themselves. Why? 
A person used to come and pray and worship an idol and sacrifice a goat for that idol. Let's say his son was about to die. And an hour later, he feels good. Hashem made it that the idols will show miracles. And people saw, wow, look, I went to that God, I went to that God, and it helped me. I'm making more money, I became cute, I found my wife. They show production, it's working. Now you may ask, why God is making people make mistakes after these foolish idols? To balance the free choice. If all the people who, who follow God see miracles and all the philo- people who follow idols don't see anything, of course nobody would follow it. The Torah says, don't follow them. Ah, you want to follow them? No problem, I'll confuse you. You see that they're making you some miracles. Why? Otherwise, there's not going to be any test here. No. So, Avodah Zarah, Gilui Arayot, all kinds of relation crimes, forbidden relation, Veshfichut Damim, murders, Shfichut Damim. No. The second temple, why the second temple was destroyed? No, who knows? Sinat huh? Chinam. People hate each other for no reason. Disrespect, no patience, no respect. No. But the Gemara is speaking now about the girls. I'm talking 2,000 years ago. Don't ever forget this. That was very primitive time compared to today. Speaking now about one of the problems that they had in that time. The Gemara says like this, in the first temple, we are talking 2,300 years ago, 2,200 years ago, something like that. How do you know that there was Gilui Arayot, that boys and girls made sins? How do you know? Prophet Yeshayahu, Isaiah, what does he say? Vayomer Hashem, and God says, Yan ki gavu because the girls of Zion, which is the Jewish girls, gavu, they stuck up, they have ego, when they walk. Vatelachna netuyot garon. They dare to walk on the street like this. You know? This is, a, this is the prophet. Now listen good. What's the translation to what the prophet says? Shayu mealchot arucha aruka bitzat ktsara. I'll explain. A tall girl, skinny and tall, when she wants to show her body that men would look at her, it's a horrible scene in the eyes of God. So how would she get more attention? When she walk with two giant girls next to her, all three big towers, or she put two midgets on the side and she walks in the middle. She walks in the middle, and two little girls next to her, they're very short. Oh, now everyone see how tall she is. To attract attention. So when a girl wanted to go by the guys, she made sure she take, she chose from the class two short girls, and she walks in the middle. No. What's the next thing they used to do? Mesakrot enaim. 
put makeup on their eyes to attract attention. Today, if you, today if you say to, in a class, girls, you are not modest, why you put some, uh, what do you call it, mascara, mascara? I should have, I know, I got the point. Because you're putting it in your eyes, you are not a modest woman. What? <laughs> All right, they put blue inside their eyes, around the eyes. Makeup, no. Or they used to walk in a certain way to attract attention from the men, whatever that means. And they used to put perfume, special oil from the farsimon tree, a special oil that has paradise smell. And they put it not in their face, like today, they, where the women put perfume on the side, no? They used to put it on the shoes. Why? When you walk, you press on it from time to time, some of it goes to the air and makes good smell. And they used to walk in the market of Jerusalem, and oh, once they see a guy, they press where the perfume is, and it comes out, which means they control it. Primitive, but that's how it was in those days. And machnisot ba'em yetzerara, and the evil inclination of the men is going high like fire. Also, they used to put bells in the shoes. You know bells, little bells? That when you want to make noise to, let's say the man is standing like this, and you behind him, the girl, how she's going to say, hey, Itzik, how are you? It's not modest. So they used to go like this. They make noise. Oh, bells right away turns around. Because of that, the temple was destroyed. Modesty, if people would really learn the strict laws of modesty in the eyes of God, they wouldn't believe. The things that the religious women do today, ooh, if you know how serious it is, the sins that the not religious women, they hold themselves like another species in nature. They have no respect for their body. They don't care. I once gave an example from the Holocaust. When the Nazis used to take pictures of the Jews in a camp, they used to make them take the clothes, and they come, all the Nazis used to come take pictures. So when the religious women were together, they, and one minute before they put them in the gas chambers, another minute she's going to die with her daughter, her mother, everyone is waiting online, and they used to come take pictures, the religious women, what's worse all their mind is that they won't take a picture of me without my clothes. That's what bothers her, not that she's, they're going to kill me. The desperation of going to die didn't bother them so much. Then the dignity, my honor, my respect as a human being. The not religious women, they didn't care. They stand like this, worried, crying that they're going to die, and the Nazi is taking pictures of her, and she doesn't care anymore. Well, anyway, I'm going to die. That's the difference between a person who dies and no goes to, he to heaven and a person who doesn't believe in heaven. So he doesn't care anymore about this. That was the difference. So the second temple, as I said, because of sinat chinam, disrespect one another. So what do we see? That the three scenes of murder problem with modesty and idols, worshipping idols, 
and on one side only one major sin, hatred, hate, hating in a, one another. What's today considered sinat chinam? Racism. People are prejudiced. Almost every person in the world is prejudiced. Almost every person. All these anti-racism activists, they are also very prejudiced. Why? I'll give you an example. In Israel, you have the left, what we call liberal Jews. They always try to be politically correct and say the right things that everybody would like them. So they come to protect the Arab rights. All the successful uh, lawyers and politicians and people are intelligent, supposedly with college degrees, many of them lived in the north of Tel Aviv. It's a fancy area. Apartments over there is millions of dollars. They are the ones who always scream, racism, where is the democracy here? Give the Arabs the rights. Why you put a terrorist and you torture them? Why you investigate them in such a way, you know? Ask one of them what would happen if Ahmed would buy an apartment in their building. Guess what they're going to do? Believe me, then you're going to see their real face. When Ahmed will come out of the building, Hello, Moshe, how are you? Who are you? I'm the new neighbor. Mustafa. Wow. He runs to his wife. Wow, don't ask. Just an hour ago, he was in a demonstration. Give them their rights to the terrorists that are killing our children. What's going on? <laughs> Let them live, where are you? You know, they always go, the settlements, get out of the settlements. It's not Israel, it belongs to them. They do not know that the Arab, for the Arabs, every drop of Israel, it's a settlement. Also Ramat Aviv, the north of Israel, they have a name for it in Arabic. Jaffa, it's settlement for them. Tel Aviv, settlement. Ramle, settlement. Everything settlement. Haifa, settlement. For them, everything is settlement. The biggest lie in the history is the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. The biggest lie. A hundred years ago, there's no Palestinians, bichlal. no flag, no anthem, nothing. There's no government of Palestine. Never, no history. They don't have history books. Nothing whatsoever. All of a sudden, they made themselves a nation. The whole world knows... Everybody knows that the, the Torah, the Tanakh, the Bible, it's an historical document. Who is the nation who sat there before anybody even that you can see out there there for thousands of years? There was always Jews there. 700 years ago, there were Jews there. 2,000 years ago, there were Jews there. 3,000 years ago, there were Jews there. Before anybody knew what Palestine is, Bichlal. So what is it? Plus, when the Jews came to Israel, what Israel was? All swamps. They sold the property where you see today Tel Aviv and all the nice cities of Israel for peanuts, for, people, for singles, for dollars. Where the American embassy in Tel Aviv, just that property alone is like $50 million. When they bought it from the Arabs that were lived there, where the Jewish immigrants came, how much they paid them, you think? It was all swans. They couldn't do anything with the land. Check the history books. All malaria, mosquitoes, people were dying every day. 
There's nothing they did. They, they couldn't believe that these European Jews are so stupid to pay the money for the lots. Right? Who wants to buy swamps? You know swamps. You know what swamp is. People are dying from the disease. Water that are standing, they bring disease. Hundreds of years like this. Uh, Mark Twain, you heard about him? He lives like 120 years ago. He went to Israel on a journey. He is the famous author that wrote Heckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer, very famous books. He was a Christian, religious Christian, and he went to, to Israel to see the Holy Land, like millions of Christians do every year. So when he got there, he wrote in his diary about what happened to him in Israel. So he wrote, I went from the north to the south all the way, from the south to the north all the way. I couldn't find one tree in the whole land. Even the olive trees that grow on rocks, I couldn't find here. That's 120 years ago. So what Palestinians? What? The Jews came. Everything became paradise in years. Now I have news for you. When the Jews gave more than half of Israel back to the Egyptians, right? There was all the south, right? All the south, the border between Israel. I, I have a picture of a satellite picture before the peace with, with Egypt and after. Before Israel gave it to them, it was all green. From the satellite, you see Israel is all green. Few years after they gave it back to the Egyptians, all the area that was a paradise became all desert. Why? It's a verse in the Torah. What did God promise the Jews? The land will give the fruit only to my children, nobody else. They're all strangers in my land. When, the, when you're sitting in the land, the land will give the fruit. When you're not there, the land refuses to grow fruit. 2,000 years, nobody could grow anything there. The Ramban, 750 years ago, came from Spain to Israel, to Jerusalem. What did he write in his book? I see the curse on the land and I get scared. How angry is God on his children that the land became such desert with nothing here. But on the other hand, that's also a good news. Why? It shows you how true is the Torah. But the Torah promise when the Jews are not here, nothing is growing here. When the Jews are living there, everything becomes paradise. Just let's finish before time is up. A few more minutes. Now remember, Shimon HaTzadik was one of the Kohanim in the Second Temple. And in Pirkei Avot, what does it say? Shimon HaTzadik Aya Mishiarea Knesset Agdola. He was one of the leftover survivors from the time of the Knesset Agdola. And there was 120 chief rabbis sitting in the Knesset there. He was one of the leftover. And he was Kohen Gadol 40 years. Imagine the level of Anshea Knesset Agdola that wrote the prayers that we pray every day. If he was the leftover, which means all of them were bigger than him, the ones before him, he was the last one in the Knesset Agdola. All the other ones were greater. And he was not as great as them. And he was a Kohen Gadol 40 years without dying, going to Kodesh HaKodashim. Just imagine the secrets and the holiness in the words in the prayer. Then 
לגמרא, oh, by the way, without realizing, we finished מסכת ראש השנה, and we already in the middle of מסכת יומא now. כשמתו נביאים אחרונים, who were the first, the last prophets of the nation of Israel? How many prophets all together we had, you know? 46. Seven of Also very wealthy woman in charge. All the men bowing down to her. Yes, ma'am, Mrs. Dvora. <laughs> She was there. Yeah, Yael, Sarah. Prophets, we had prophets. What, Abraham, what Hashem said to Abraham? Everything Sarah is telling you, you must listen to her. She's greater than you. She seems better than you, no? So, no? So it says like this, Shemetu HaNevi'im HaAchronim, when the last prophet passed away, who are they? Haggai, Zechariah, Zechariah is Zachary in English, and Malachi. Ruach HaKodesh Nistalka Mi'Israel, the holy vision, the holy spirit, removed from Israel, but they had something that it's a lower level, it's called Batkol. It's like a temporary vision. Like a message from heaven, but not a holy vision like the prophets had, the prophecy. Who has prophecies in our days? Who? Children. Little children. They say things and it's a prophecy, but they don't, they're not even aware of it. And the shotim. What a shotim means? Well, we call fools. But what do they really mean? We found in this generation that the autistic kids, they know things. With the help of uh, communicating with them with a computer, they're giving us things that are amazing. Yeah, I, I, told, I spoke about it in my lectures a few times, what my experience with them, the things that they said, and I'm always 100% correct. So that's it. No more prophecy from Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. It's the end of the prophecies. רבי יהודה says, מעשה בארטבין אחד שהיה בודק מזוזות בשוק העליון של ציפורי. Translation, there was one person who was checking מזוזות to see if they're kosher in a market of ציפורי. ציפורי was a city in the north. ומצאו כסדור אחד ונטל ממנו אלף זוז. You know, one person came to him and he charged him a thousand zuz. And it says like this, the, the Kassador, the wicked person, robbed him and took away from him a thousand zoos. Let's say a thousand dollars. Let's say you're a sofer, you check mezuzot. Everyone who brings you a mezuzah to check, you charge him seven dollars, whatever it is. So over the, the day, let's say you put uh, 50 and 100, whatever you made all day, whoop, one guy comes with the, with the knife and he robbed him and he took a thousand zoos from him. Zuz was the coin of that time. Amar Rabbi Elazar, how can it be? A person that is busy with mitzvah is protected from tragedies like this, no? The Gemara says yes. When a person is busy with mitzvah, automatically he has a special protection. But, but, in an area of tragedies, no. Which means, If you enter to a very dangerous area, for instance, one, ask, one person asks Rabbi Eliashiv, he's going to give lectures to make Jews religious in settlements, and he has to pass through Arab neighborhoods. 
And you know, they sometimes throw rocks and they shoot. And, and it's very dangerous. He's a father to kids, he has a wife, and he's afraid. So he asked him, can I count on the promise that a person is busy with such an important mitzvah, is going away to give a lecture, is going to be protected from them. So he says, depend. If it's area of Puranut, area that the record shows that there are many attacks there, no. Why? Because you need a special miracle to be done for you. Not everybody is in a level that Hashem is going to start making miracles for him. Like some people say, if it's going to be an earthquake, I'm becoming religious right now, I promise you. So sure, so, so God is going to make an earthquake for Mr. Cohen, because he wants to see an earthquake. Well, it's not, it doesn't work that way. When there's problems over there every day, don't count on a miracle. The same thing we learn it from Shmuel. How do we learn it? Samuel, the prophet, he was supposed to go and give the bad news to King Saul. Right? Shaul HaMelech, King Saul. Hashem sent him away and he's not, going to, he's not going to stay the king. King David become the new king. Who has to give him the news? The prophet. Who is the prophet? Samuel. So when Hashem told Samuel, go to Shaul, go to Saul and tell him that he's not, in, he's not the king anymore because he didn't kill the, the, the king, of, king of Amalek, the nation of Amalek. So, so Samuel told God, how will I go? He's going to kill me. What do you mean he's going to kill you? I am God sending you on such a mitzvah and you worry to get killed. What do we learn from here? Something that is obvious. Yes, it's dangerous. Watch your health, watch your life. Uh, one last thing. Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov says, a person should not marry a woman in one place and will go and marry another woman in another place. What are we talking? In the old days, it was permitted to marry more than one wife. The Arabs do it until this moment. They have more than one wife. But even the Jews were allowed that a man can marry one woman in this place, in another place, etc., etc. In history, in reality, almost nobody ever did it. Almost nobody ever did it. Very, very few did it for, for different reasons, either that they had to travel for months to another place and stay there for a long time, and then six months here, and then a year there. So it was it's difficult for a man to live without a woman, so that's some people that did it. But, or sometimes the woman was alone, there was nobody to help her, to take care of her, or she was already a widow with kids, so he took her as a mitzvah and he supported her, he made her his wife. There's all kinds of exception to the rule. Why do I tell you all this? What's the risk if you marry a woman here and you marry a woman in a very far away city and you marry another woman in a, in a very far city? What's the risk? It's not like today you have internet, telephone, connection, trains, planes that you can go in a minute from here to there. You have children over here and you have children over there. 15, 20 years later, they may meet each other and marry. Get married, a brother and a sister. They don't know. They never saw each other. It wasn't like today. You come, you take a picture. You come to your children in another town. Oh, look at your brother from a different woman. Here, look. Oh, so now I know it's my brother. So it's a risk, especially when they had many kids. A person have 12 kids here and 17 kids over there. So this is 
there's a chance that one of them meet each other. It's enough that one time it's going to happen in a whole generation. <laughs> Brother and sister that got married. <sighs> you know, so, so obviously it's very dangerous. So it says like this. If that's going to happen, all the kids will be mamzerim, illegitimate kids. And then they will get married and all their kids will be illegitimate. And there will be hundreds or thousands of mamzerim in the world. And that's very bad. And the last thing the Gemara says, Amar Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, kol achoshet bekshirim loke begufo. This is a very common problem, very common problem. Everyone who suspects a kosher person, a person is not a thief, and he always suspects that he's steal. Let's say he's working for you in a business, and you're always suspecting, and you tell your wife, he's a thief, I'm telling you, and you tell your brother, eh? in the end, he's clean. What happened to you? You're risking your body. What's going to be the punishment? You're going to get hurt in your body. That's what it is. Loke begufo. God forbid an accident, breaking legs, breaking hand, losing a hand, losing an eye, something like this. This is the punishment. Why a person has to be very careful. If you don't have 100% solid proof, you're not allowed to suspect a person and treat him like a criminal. You're allowed to be careful from him. You have to be careful from every person. Every person, even the, the holiest person in the world, in a newspaper, they take pictures of him, he comes to your house, you're still allowed to suspect, and you have to be around. You have to give him the respect of the most important person in the world. At the same time, the Gemara say, kelistim. Be careful, you don't leave your diamonds. Today, there's a very common problem. In the religious community, many people want to sell their house. Let's say they have two homes. And they want to sell one of them, and they live in the other home. Uh, when a, when a real estate agent showed the house, they're not going to travel all the way to be there, right? So they give the key to the real estate agent, and she shows the house, or he shows the house. And that's a very stupid thing. Well, if you don't have anything in the house, no furniture, no, of course, what, what's to steal? The walls? But if the house is a place with furniture that you come and go, and you live there every once in a while, it happens that these people steal, because even religious people have desire to steal. They're not angels. Everyone, no one is perfect. And a person sees diamonds in a box, and he's very poor, and his children are starving for food, and he comes to see a house, and he sees a diamond, he may take it. Later, he may regret it, or whatever the case is. But you don't leave something like this and expect, oh, no, she showed it to religious people. It's only a religious neighborhood. It doesn't work that way. You gotta use your head. If you remember, I will finish with one story. If you remember, once, me, I think a year ago, two years ago, I, I said a story in the name of Rav Shalom Shvadron. He was an atomic bomb, a speaker that when he spoke, your blood froze. People, was, people who heard him, just his voice was so scary that you came to his lecture, believe me, you came not religious, just from his image, you became religious. He once told a story about a father that had an ancient gold coin from 2,000 years ago, worth a lot. The archaeologists found it, and he somehow got it. 
and he had the coin. So he, still, he told his wife, you see this coin, I'll hide it in a closet. When the kids grow up, it will be enough to marry all of them and buy them a par- small apartments in Israel, and I don't have to worry about their future. Let's, let's save it, don't touch it. One time after years, he decided to go with his wife on vacation. So they put a babysitter, and they went on three, four days vacation. When they came back, first thing he goes is to check if the coin is still there. Oh, the coin disappeared. He comes to his older son. Did you go to my closet? He said, I was looking for money. We want, the kids were crying. They wanted lollipop. So I saw a coin there, and I bought them lollipops with the coins. So he screamed, lollipops with a coin, it's worth a million dollars, this coin. Where? Who did you give it to? He said, I went to the grocery store. He said, and he took it from you and he gave you lollipops? He said, yes. Little kid. He runs to the grocery store. He said, hey, hey, my son was here two days ago. He bought lollipops? He said, yes. Where is the coin he gave you? He said, what coin? He gave me 10 shekel. And it was even short, half a shekel short. I, I gave up. I gave them a few lollipops to the kids. Don't lie! You liar! Ah! In front of all the customers, give me the coin! It's important to me, I got it for my parents. Sir, relax, what's going on with you? Go ask your son, he gave me 10 shekel. You liar, don't buy here, he's a crook. The rumor, you know how the rumors are? Within a month, the grocery guy went out of business. Religious people don't like to deal with thieves, even though when some of them also thieves, when they hear about someone is a thief, that's the, it's a murderer. That we don't buy from him, he's a thief. That's the way, they, way it is. So he went out of business. The story is, what can he do? In the meantime, this father, his life is not going to be the same. He's worried what's going to do with all my kids. One day, 15 years later, somebody knocked on his door. 15 years later, Sir, are you such and such? Yeah. You used to live here 15 years ago? Yes. I have a Shavas Aveda. I came to do a mitzvah of returning a lost object to his owner, as the Torah commands us. He take it from an envelope, the coin. Here, it's yours. First, he scream. Oh, he knows the value is worth fortune. How did he get to your end? So I'll tell you a story. Fifteen years ago, I was a broke, broke man, no job, no money, no nothing. I walk on the street, I see a bunch of kids walking. I hear that they're going to buy lollipops. I see the boy is holding a big, nice gold coin. So I ask, hey, little boy, what is this coin in your hand? He said, I'm going to buy lollipops to my kids. You know, my parents are away, and I'm using this lollipop. I said, how much a lollipop cost? He told me how much. I gave him 10 shekels. I said, let's, let's trade. You cannot buy with this. This is not real money. I'll give you money that you can buy lollipops. What a kid is going to do for a lollipop? <laughs> he gave him the gold 
and, it, and he took the 10 shekel, and they went to the grocery. I took the coin to my banker. I gave it to him as collateral. I got a million dollar loan for it. I bought a very good business, a company. I made tons of money. Over the years, I pay my loan back to the bank. And today, I'm clear out of debt. Nothing. No, I don't owe anything. And I don't need a coin anymore. The bank gave me back the coin. I'm a wealthy man. All my kids are married with houses. And I came to return the coin to you. So now the question is, the owner of the grocery was innocent. He is not going to be punished. He is going to get a huge reward. He lost his business and he was innocent. No, his reward is waiting for him. The person who returned the coin, he was guilty until today and he made tshuva. When you return it, you make tshuva. He asks him, forgive me, I'm sorry. Take it, I'm clean. The father is innocent. So who is guilty? Who is guilty in this story? It's not, who's going to pay? The people of Yerushalayim. Each one of them. You heard? The owner of the grocery is a thief. Put him out of bit. They are the only one who lost from that story. The three actors of the, of the movie, they got clean. The people of Yerushalayim with their gossip, gossip, gossip. See, a person doesn't see on himself when he's guilty. He doesn't see his negative. He sees everyone else negative. He's a thief. I don't want him. I don't want to buy by him. But he doesn't see on himself. I said yesterday in my lecture a, a million-dollar story. One rabbi has a boy. His name is Yankale. This Yankale is a very hyper boy. Yaakov is name. Very hyper. He moves in the class, makes noise. The class is all, you know, the clown of the class. What happened now? One day the rabbi called the father and said, Sir, I cannot, I cannot teach your son anymore in, the, in my class. It's ruining the atmosphere in the class. The only way your son can stay in my class, if you buy for him the pills, it's called Ritalin. Ritalin? It's relaxing the kids. It makes them, you know, numb. <laughs> they say the not move. That's, he said, no, I'm broke. Where would I get money for that? And in Israel, it's an important medicine. It's very expensive. No, I can't buy it. It's too much. Let's worry about the money. So he told him, sir, I don't, I don't care. Go and collect charity and buy your son these pills. Every day he must take one pill before the class starts. So the father told him, but we have another problem. My wife and I leave the house before he even gets up. By the time he gets up, we're already on the way to work. Who is going to give it to him? He said, give it to me, and I'll give it to him. So he said, but if you're going to give it to him in a class, everyone will know that he's taking medication. I'm not interested in that. So the, the rabbi said, what do you think? I'm going to give it to him in front of all the kids? No, don't worry. I will send him to the locker room right after the davening of the morning when we finish to pray. We have about 10 minutes break. I will send him every morning to make me coffee by the locker room, there's a machine, and we'll put his, his pills over there in the locker, and he's gonna have to take a pill every day, and that's it. 
So the father says, no problem. The next day he gives him the pills, end of story. Then the father is waiting if he'll get a phone call from the Rebbe, like every day. No phone call today, no tomorrow, no next week. Psh. Two months, the phone did not ring. He's too suspicious. Comes to his son, Yankale, tell me a little bit about school. What's going on there? He said, the last two months, it's paradise. He said, what? He said, the class is great. Everyone is quiet, no fighting, no noise. And the rabbi became so nice. You know, he never yelled at me once in the last two months. Can you believe it? <laughs> so the father asked him, just like that? He said, yes. He said, and what's with you? You're taking the pill every day? He said, yes, every day I take the pill from the closet. He, t- he told me I have to make him coffee every day. So every day I put one pill there. And since then, it's a miracle. <laughs> 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 So he runs to the, to the Rebbe, he says, you heard that story? The innocent boy is putting it in your coffee. So, <laughs> the poor Rebbe, what is he? So I admit, if that's the case, and I was the problem. He couldn't see the problem before. I was the problem. So now the last question, and I, le- I leave you with something to think about until next Wednesday. Who has to pay for the pills? <laughs> who is responsible in court to pay for the pills? The father who bought it for the boy? Or now, since the Rebbe was a problem, uh, he was using it without knowing it, he has to pay. Who's, who has to pay for the pills? You come up with the answer next Wednesday. Baruch Adonai Amen Amen.